This is Podco Media Networks. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to launch the Global Citizens podcast with one of my favorite people here in Accra. In this episode, I meet with Cordy Aziz, founder and executive director of Environment 360 at her offices in Adenta, Accra, Ghana. Environment 360 harnesses the value of waste by creating inclusive waste systems that have economic and environmental impact in the communities that they serve. In part one of our discussion, Cordy, a Sierra Leonean American, tells us about how she came to be local in Accra, her impressions of the city, and a primer on waste management. In part two, we delve into the business of waste in Ghana and how Environment 360 is making an impact with their programs in schools and increasing number of communities across Ghana. To find out more, be sure to visit Environment 360, that's environment360gh.org. And to see our Malaria Madness video, just check the show notes. That's available on YouTube, the Leap Transmedia YouTube station. Feel free to subscribe. And as always, you can find Local Citizens at localcitizenspod.com. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Local Citizens. It's Florence Adu, and I'm here with my guest for today, Cordy Aziz, who is the founder and executive director of Environment 360, which is a crop-based NGO that focuses on circular economies and just basically delivering value everywhere and with everything that she touches. Cordy, thank you for being with us. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and what you do? Great. So first, thanks so much for having me. Really excited to be on this afternoon. So I think you've said my name twice, but I'll say it every time. <laughs> Cordy Aziz. Essentially, what I do is I founded an NGO in 2014. And we actually were the originator or the creator of the first successful plastic recycling scheme in Accra. Since then, we've gone on to grow. So we create recycling programs for schools, for communities and corporations. Recently, we just launched the first take-back center of PET in Ghana. We're opening up the second one in Old Fadama in two weeks. And we really try to work with informal sector workers mainly women and those that have been disenfranchised to really help bring them into formal waste management and help them earn more income and improve their livelihood. Just so our listeners know, PET is, stands for? Plastic bottles. So it's a long scientific name. I would be lying if I said I'd memorized it by now. (laughs) But essentially they're the plastic bottles that we drink out of every day, which is probably one of the hottest waste commodities in the world right now. And a large part of that is just because of its durability and its ability to be used in a lot of different ways. So for instance, polyester, which is a leading fabric, is actually made from recycled plastic bottles. It has a very high demand in the market as of now. Got it. So Cordy, Tell us a little bit more about your background and what inspired you, you being the first to do something like this in Accra. How did you get to that point? So I think it's really interesting. They say life is really a journey and not a destination. I think my journey has shown that. I was actually born and raised in the U.S. My mother is from Mississippi. 
My father is Sierra Leonean Ghanaian. He's probably definitely more Sierra Leonean than Ghana, so we do have some cousins here. Uh, but my father himself essentially grew up in Sierra Leone. Growing up, my father was always very pro-African, and I think that that probably rubbed off on me somewhere along the way. So I remember even when I was a small child, I never really saw myself living long-term in the U.S. I always eventually felt I would move to the continent, but I probably thought I'd probably be like in my 50s or 60s, so like I would have started a family, you know, sort of had life going and then up and relocate. Just so happens though, when I was 30, I was living and working in Washington, D.C. for the Committee on Homeland Security for the United States Congress. When the House switched from Democrat to Republic, I essentially lost my job. So I wandered around, thought about what to do, and then something just inside of me was like, hey, let's just move to Africa. So I was actually originally going to move to Sierra Leone because, of course, this is where we have stronger ties. Mm -hmm. But it just so happened I had made friends with the chancery from the Ghanaian embassy. And he was like, you know, Cordy, I think you should really check out Ghana. So I came, I visited, supposed to be here a week. I ended up staying three weeks. I went home in 90 days, sold off all my stuff, and then showed back up in the country with three suitcases and I guess a lot of optimism. (laughs) (laughs) And that was how many years ago? That was eight and a half years ago. Okay, wow. So almost a lifetime for some people. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, generally, yeah. Like you think about your college through, so the process of becoming a doctor, right? You're just, yeah, it's totally a whole lifetime. Wow. So what did you do when you first got here? So I feel like I was really blessed. I always recommend to people is that if you are really a member of the diaspora and you're looking at returning home or returning back to the continent, I think you need to have some level of financial stability Mm -hmm. even before you consider it. Mm -hmm. Fortunately for me, I actually decided to cash out my retirement. Mm -hmm. So I actually had some income already here. Sure. For me, I wasn't as pressed to find a job. Okay. So I have to be honest, my first probably year and a half, I just sort of piddled around. I got to know the culture. Mm-hmm. I got to know how things work. Mm-hmm. I tried one or two ventures, but I really didn't do anything very serious. Sure. I think, though, this is also part of the reason why I was able to successfully reside within the country. I think we get a lot of people from the diaspora that want to come to Ghana or return back home, but then after a year or so, two years max, they end up going back. And a large part of it is because they didn't come financially ready. So they came expecting to find a job or some opportunity. And I think that's really the wrong mindset when you're looking at moving abroad, particularly to the continent of Africa, because it's not nearly as easy as we think it is. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Even me, myself, I spent about two years coming and going, coming for a month, going back, coming for, you know, six weeks, like that type of thing so that I could understand what exactly the landscape is. Because you come here, and even in those times, I was just shocked at, okay, oh, that's how they do it here? Oh, okay, I have to really kind of reimagine what I imagined I would be doing. Mm -hmm. So that's great advice because it's definitely not what you expect. It's not, and I often think sometimes 
Like when we come because we don't understand how things work on the local ground, we think we have all of these ideas that are new and original and gaps and what people are missing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes those ideas, people have already tried them. They failed. It's right. not the right time. Right. Or maybe they're just not interested in some of the things that right. we think are critical. Right. So I think that sometimes, like you said, either coming and going over a period of time mm-hmm. and better understanding what the landscape is yeah. or just saying, I'm going to come, but I know that I'm financially stable enough so that if I don't work for a year or two, it's okay for me. Right, right. I think that's critical. That's a great piece of advice. Thinking about our next segment, which is why the where, and I think you kind of alluded to this in your introductory discussion, but how did you get to where you are in terms of the location that you chose or maybe which part of Accra you're in or like why exactly? Yeah, I think it's been a whole movement. When I first came to Accra, So Accra for me was natural because Accra is very cosmopolitan. Mm -hmm. I think what Accra really has to offer is that you get really the best of both worlds. Because yes, you're living on the continent, but yet at the same point in time, you're in a city that's sort of hip enough to do some of the things that maybe remind you of home. It's not hard to get hamburger, pizza, this type of stuff if you're feeling like this is the type of food you want to eat. Right. So it's more of an easier transition. Internet is good. Mm-hmm. You don't have issues with telecommunication. Mm-hmm. Lights at one point were an issue, but that's been settled out now sure. for like a few years. <laughs> but a lot of the challenges that you'll have in other rural areas you didn't really have within a crowd. I think I've actually worked my way around. I can say this, the longer I'm here, the more comfortable I am moving away from sure. the city. Right. So when I first came, I had to stay in Continents, which is sort of like the upscale sort of part of Accra, very close to Osu, which is where the nightlife is. Mm-hmm. And then from Continents, I still was in the city. Nobody knew the place then, but it's called Chado. Now Chado is hot, like everybody's in Chado. It's okay. right behind the trade fair. Okay, um, yes, exactly. Yeah, now yes. it's like the hot spot. But right. I was there before, like when the yeah, roads were done. Right. Nobody wanted to come to Chado. <laughs> so then I went to Chado and I didn't have a vehicle and it was a struggle. And then from Chado, I was able to move to Roman Ridge, which is really more of the center of town. Yeah. Roman Ridge also was very luxurious, shall I say, because I got a great deal on a small apartment. And this was during the height of Dumso, and because so many politicians actually lived in the area, we always had lights. So right. it's like people would suffer for like 12, 20 hours. My lights were always on. Right. So Dumso was a period in time, and the idea is on off. Locally, we know it as, you know, when lights go off. Yeah. So and this was off. the peak. It was like 12 hours off. Right. 12 hours right. on. It was rolling blackouts. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, yeah. you felt like you never had lights when you yeah. went home. Like, you would only yeah. come on during the day sure. when you weren't there. You planned to be out <laughs> because you, don't you buy food. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was a time. <laughs> so, and then from there, I went a little bit further to West Lagan. Mm-hmm. And then from West Lagan, I moved to Achale Bochue. Okay. And then from Achale Bochue, now I've gone to Dodoa which is probably about an hour and a half outside of Accra. Right, right? exactly. So it's interesting to me how even the longer I'm in Accra, I guess I'm a little bit more tired 
of a craft. Exactly. So I, I don't get it. seek out some of these same social experiences sure. that I used to. Sure. And I find that I do enjoy being able to come into the city, mm-hmm. but I do also enjoy the peace of being around mango trees and mm-hmm. things being significantly cheaper. Right. There's no loud music or random right. churches next to you. Sure. So, it's quiet life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's been even interesting for me to watch how I've gone to feeling the need to be in the center of the city to really being okay with living outside of the city. And that leads me to the next question or segment, which is our Glocal Speak question. We just want you to tell us something that it's a word, a phrase, or a saying that's meaningful and really kind of adds value to your experience here. Mm, the two I probably use the most are chale and kwasia. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you use them. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like chalet can be used for anything. Sure. You know, it's sort of a universal term for friend. Okay. So it can be used as a excitement, like chalet, sure. hey, did you? Yes. <laughs> yes. It can be used as a, a thing of acting like chalet. You won't even believe. So right. I right. feel like it goes anywhere. And because I have a lot of road rage and other things, quasia, which is usually stupid. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like I yes. use this quite frequently. Yes. Yes. Quasi has tree for, for stupid. stupid. Okay. <laughs> and particularly when you say it to a man, it's even a bigger insult coming from a woman. Oh, okay. uh, So, like, when you really say it to a man, like, it really, like, sure. irritates him to the next level. Sure. So, I do find that I use this quite frequently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. So... That brings me to my next kind of point of question, because you are leading an organization and you are a woman and particularly working with local people who have certain ideas about the roles that women should play and things like that. Tell us a little bit more in that context and more broadly, what exactly the work is that Environment 360 does and some of your accomplishments, because you've had really great ones. You've had a stellar year and how being a woman leading an organization has influenced your life. So I think this is actually a really good question because as you mentioned, to be a female entrepreneur, I think in the world Mm -hmm. is difficult. I think being a female entrepreneur in Africa is doubly as difficult. And I think that being a woman in waste also makes it triple difficult. I think when you look at the global scale, there's probably about 2% of women that work in waste. Mm. Here in Accra, I'm one of two. So there's one other female-owned waste management company, and it has been a really interesting experience. I think one of the things I can say is that I do feel like being a woman actually helps me relate to our local stakeholders a lot better, Mm -hmm. particularly because we work with the informal sector. And these are typically people that don't have high level of education. So these are people that probably didn't even finish JHS or junior high school. They might have some basic level. Some of them don't have any basic level at all. They've been laborers or traders. They basically are not literate. Basically, yeah. They can't read, they can't write. And I think that being a woman, I think, allows me to sort of have greater empathy and patience to actually work with some of them. I also feel like being a woman is really probably the reason that we have been successful is because I tell people I'm more interested in sort of the social impact part than anything else. So yes, I do think creating the first recycling program, I do think being recognized globally as an expert in waste management, particularly in Africa, with the informal sector, I think all of these things are absolutely magnificent. 
the award's great, but there's really nothing compared to actually being able to see someone being able to make a difference in their own life. Mm -hmm. And knowing that that difference is not only for them, but it's actually having a generational impact, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of our women waste pickers actually use their money to pay for their kids to go to school. Mm -hmm. So if we weren't there, maybe their children wouldn't have access to an education, which is something they didn't have. So it's actually really breaking the cycle. I think there are a lot of challenges sometimes to being a woman entrepreneur, particularly because as mentioned in waste, there aren't a lot of women, but you always want to have great experts, but typically they're men. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's always a little clash because people think they know better than you. Mm -hmm. And it's like I tell people, like I tell my employees, you know, you really have to get along with each other. I tell them I'm the one exception. I mean, if I don't like working with you, you can pretty much start counting your days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only one That's that has the, the luxury yeah. not to like someone I sure. work with. Sure. The rest of you, like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You do not have this luxury. Sure. It has been a challenge, I think, particularly in working with younger men or even middle-aged men that really just are not used to seeing women that are opinionated, that are maybe forceful, that don't back down as much. Waste is very political. And I mean, we've had to fight several battles. Yeah. And I'm sure that at some point in time, people are like, why is it this girl just won't shut up sure. and go away? Sure. Tell us more about that, how it is political. So waste essentially, most of the contracts are given out by government agencies mm -hmm. and local municipalities, yeah. which of course, I mean, are controlled by political parties right. and people that have their own interests. Mm -hmm. And I don't think this is just an African thing. I think this is it's global. Yeah. Typically, the mafia is sort of the one right. that runs waste. Exactly. So you really have to have a certain amount of gumption, particularly doing what I'm doing, because I'm changing the whole status quo. Sure. So I tell private companies, I don't think you're going to be involved in the recycling sector. So I don't think you're going to come to a point where every residence has a segregated can and you deliver the service. It's not going to happen. And then for a lot of them, this is very scary or unusual because they understand the subsidies that typically come along with it. So you get someone like me who's like, no, let's use the informal sector and like, let's push it. Then it's a whole other ballgame. So I think that we really have to illustrate the fact that, you know, women can sort of be at the, the playing table. You definitely have to be a little bit more aggressive. This probably the field I'm in at least is not one where you're really going to get ahead based on your, your sweetness. Right. Right. I, I can relate because in my U.S. life, I work in construction. So I this is it. entirely understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So the moment I feel you work in a male-dominated space, mm -hmm. you have to be willing to go to war sometimes. Sure. Be it to protect your territory, just to show them that you deserve respect or that you're smart enough to be at the table. Right. But you definitely have to be able to draw the boundaries protect your territory and let them know that you're not going anywhere. Right, 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 which is why you're here <laughs> and, and thriving. Thanks for joining us for part one of our discussion with Cordy Aziz. Join us next time when we get more into her business, Environment 360 and schools and an increasing number of communities across Ghana and more about local citizenship in general. Thanks for joining us today. As always, you can catch us at www.glocal, that's with the C, citizenspod.com and wherever you find podcasts. Thanks again. Bye for now. <laughs>